Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope uh, today is a good day for you. You know, we're going to be jumping into a difficult psalm this morning. It's in Psalm 22. You know, and we jump into difficult passages at Bergen Park because, see, the deeper we go with God the richer you will be with others. The deeper that you go and you walk with God, the richer, the more meaningful you are going to be with others. And so we're going to be jumping into Psalm 22 because, you know, as we go through life, we have experiences of difficulty and hardship and trials, and we've got to learn to express those things to God. You know, the church today, certainly in the West, is is not deep enough. And what I mean by that, even the best leaders among us, it's so, so heartbreaking that even the best leaders among us have hidden sins and brokenness that's going on in their life, and they don't have community. They don't have authenticity. And the greatest challenge to the church today is not outside of these, these doors. It's us. Do we really want to be a community who is with Jesus, that's becoming like Jesus? And then do we want to do what Jesus did. That's what the church is called to be. First, to, to be with God, to know him and, and all the ins and outs of life, the celebration, the woos, right? We got to do the woos sometimes. I'm not real good at that. I feel kind of awkward in woos. I, I kinda, I'm more of the melancholy type, so I, I know how to do that with God. But we've got to allow God into every aspect of life, and that's what prayer is about. It's about being with God primarily, not simply about asking for things, though we do. It's about allowing God to be with us and then fully being present with God, where we are in that moment, not as so much just being right in what we say, but being right with God, meaning just expressing to God what's on our hearts and minds and allowing God to be God. You see, when we get into the Psalms, the Psalms aren't so much controlled by emotions, but emotions certainly are central to the Psalms. You see a lot of Psalms of sadness, and, and some of the biggest, the, the longest section of Psalms is called lament, and that's just simply grief. And so last week, we looked at a psalm without hope, Psalm 88. And there's only two in the Bible, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88, because some days you just don't have hope. And I'm grateful the Bible echoes what we feel, that some days we we pray to God and there's just not hope. It just doesn't seem like anything's going to change. And yet God loves us enough that he's allowed that message to be in Scripture to say, hey, listen, I understand your heart when it's in desperation. Now, most of the psalms of lament, like we're going to look at in Psalm 22, they have hope. And the reason they have hope is these psalms, they're not just songs and prayers that were written at one time. They were written like kind of over the course of life. Some may have been in a couple weeks, some maybe in years. But in Psalm 22, David's taking us into this very deep place of woundedness and brokenness. And David's a man's man. I mean, come on. David took down Goliath. David's a tough guy. He's a shepherd. And shepherds weren't wimps. You had to be tough out there to fight off the wolves and fight off everything that was attacking the sheep. David is a strong, masculine man, and yet when it comes to God, he was open and honest. He was deep before God so he could be rich before others. And church, that's where we need to go as a community, to learn to be deep with God and then therefore to bring others into our life so that we can be rich towards others. So let's jump into, this is a long psalm, so I gotta kinda warn you, don't fall asleep in the middle. It's going to get good. It it, it transitions towards hope, so don't lose me. Certainly, if you're online, don't start washing dishes right now. 
This is, this is a deep psalm that we want to jump into. So let's, let's go there, Psalm 22, and it starts off with this note. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, which is a tune, a song, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted, and they were not put to shame. But see, I am a worm. I am not a man. I am scorned by mankind. I'm despised by people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me, wagging their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet, yet you are, are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. And so be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ra raving and roaring lions. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melting within my own breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. God, for dogs have encompassed me. A wild company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands in my feet, I can count all of my bones, and they stare and they gloat at me. They divide my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he has cried to him. From you comes my praise and the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. For all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kings belong to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, everyone who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people who are yet unborn, that God, he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that words like this are expressed in your word. Father, that we would know 
it is okay to be honest before you. Father, it's okay in your presence to to share our grief and our sadness, to protest what is happening to us in the moment and to declare, Father, that you are our salvation, you are our deliverer, and yet you seem far from us. Lord, it is okay in your presence to be honest before God. So, Father, we might live honest before others. So guide us into this truth, we ask, Father, Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us wherever we are, whether in a day of joy that is great, but in a day of sorrow, may we bring our brokenness before you. And Father, would you teach us and guide us and lead us in this time that we might understand how to express our mind, our emotions, our hearts when days are dark. Teach us, Lord, we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a deep contradiction in the church, and I use the word contradiction because that's what it feels like. That on the one hand, we believe God is good and merciful. That's true. We believe that God is good. We believe that God rescues us. And we've seen that in, in times of hardship. When you go through the Bible, you hear stories, the story of the Exodus, where God came and rescued his people, and they were in suffering and darkness, and God sent a mediator through Moses, and, they, and God rescued them out, and he was beside them, and he was covered them with his wings. There's this tenderness, there's this realness of God's presence. We know that God has done this, and yet we primarily know that through Jesus. But the reason I believe this isn't because I believe in Noah or Abraham. I do believe in them, but I believe in them because I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, because he showed up, and they were eyewitnesses, and they, they saw him, they touched him, they, they realized what he was saying, and they proclaimed the gospel. And, and I know that God is loving and true, and he is present because of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. I know that. And yet there are days where the truth of what I believe about God contradicts with my experience where God seems far and he seems distant. He seems unloving and uncompassionate and unkind and uncaring. And in these moments of contradiction, what are you going to do? Because I think we're all going to be there at some point. We're going to lose people that we love. We're going to lose experiences. We're going to go through hardships. People are going to reject us or cast us aside or blame us. And we're going to find ourselves in these places like David does. Where he's crying out to God, God, where are you? I know you delivered my ancestors, but you're not delivering me. Is there something wrong with me? If we don't have the words to express in those moments, we're going to either abandon God or assume the wrong things about God. What the Psalms of Lament do is they teach us how to pray when we don't have the words to pray. It's a great resource I want to tap you into. It's called, and it's called Five Psalms. Okay, if you want to go look that up, I'm giving you permission right now. Go on your phones. Anyways, it's an app, and it's called Five Psalms. Basically, it's an app that gives you five psalms a day. It'll also give you a proverb, kind of top it off. But the goal of this is to pray those psalms every day. Now, hear me, I've never prayed all five, so don't feel like you have to complete it. I know some of you have to complete everything. I try to do at least two. Because some of you know, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I go to my, my phone, not to read the news, because that's going to destroy your day. I go to listen to God's word, and I go to an app, uh, to a podcast that just kind of reads scripture, and it goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it often doesn't have a psalm. And I use five psalms now, I've, I've started using this over the last month, to, to bring a psalm into my, my worship with the Lord, that if I read anything that day, I'm going to start with a psalm, and in that psalm, pray it back to God. Even if I'm not there, just to pray those words. And whenever you see God, you say, Father, you say, you. 
and you simply pray those words back to God. Because see, the Psalms teach us how to pray. And if we don't know how to pray, and certainly American Christianity is prayerless. We think we have what it takes. We don't believe we're poor in spirit or that we need to mourn or blessed are the merciful. No, we don't believe that because we're prayerless. And so we have Christian leaders that are falling left and right. The church aligns itself with things that are godless in our own culture because we're not deep enough with God to be rich with others. And so this psalm, guys, we have to learn this stuff. We've got to get our heart into it so that in those days of trial, we know how to respond. And that's what David's teaching us. So let's let's jump in. And the first thing you'll notice, what David does, and and actually he doesn't do this. This is kind of added later on. It gives us this this introduction, and it says that it was for the choir master according to the doe of the dawn, which was a song. Do you guys know the doe of the dawn? Nobody does. That's the point. But the beauty, realize this, this is a prayer that people sang on a regular basis. So imagine David wrote this prayer at some point. He prayed different aspects of this prayer, maybe through a couple weeks or maybe a month, and eventually it all got written down, right? And then someone said, this would make a great song. And so they got the song, The Doe of the Dawn, which was really big in 1000 BC or something. And it it was on the top 40, and they said, hey, let's sing it according to The Doe of the Dawn. So realize, after David wrote this song, thousands upon thousands, generation after generation, they knew this song. And when hardship came, guess what they did? They didn't go to country music. I know sometimes we do. You know, my my, my wife left me, my dog left me, my truck is broken. They went, they had something. They had this song that comforted their soul and it enabled them to pray in God's presence. And see, that's what it's supposed to be. There's a song for me like that. It's called Because He Lives. And it's not because of the song so much, though the words are important, it's because of my grandfather. You know, he, he actually lived with us for f- four years, the end of his life. My wife and I, we were caretakers. You may not know this. When we we're going through seminary, the way we, we provided for ourselves is we lived with people, and we end up started taking care of people. And so that kind of led us to the place where we're like, wait, why don't we take care of my grandfather? Let's all move in together, and we're going to do this. And so we were like his, his nursing home. Well... You know, he lost his wife earlier on, and this song, Because He Lives, was the song that he would sing when he was in grief. And I can remember, because we, we went to church, you know, not just one hour a week. We went on Sunday morning, we went Sunday night, and then we did the midweek. And they always sang these hymns. And so, Because He Lived would come up, you know, and every time that song would come up, here's what would happen. I'd often be sitting next to my grandfather, and his volume would go up. Because, see, I knew that when he thought of that song, he thought of his wife. He thought of her love. He thought of that grief. And I know when he sang, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I know he holds the future. He was singing it out of a place of grief and yet out of a place of love. And so when hardship comes in my life, I can't tell you, it's just this song comes up. And I think that's what the Psalms are supposed to be for us. That place that anchors us and deepens us. Because here, here's the first insight I want you to see as you look at Psalm 22. The first 18 verses, realize this, 18 verses of a prayer, no requests. I mean, realize he's in a time of pain and suffering. What do you do when crisis comes? And you do pray, right? What's your prayer sound like? 
help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Here's how, here's how, help me. Here's how you're going to do it. Come, when we're in a time of crisis, what do we start with? Request. God, help me. And then what what do we assume God needs to know what we think he needs to do? Right? God doesn't know. I got to tell you, God, what you need to do to fix me. Now, what I want you to notice, and this is throughout the songs of lament, they have requests. But the assumption of David is not that God needs to know what to do. What does David assume? God needs to know how I'm doing. What? Doesn't he know that? Before there's a request, you know, doesn't he know? God cares about what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're going through. But do we pray like that? Do we tell God, hey, God, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. I'm sad. I'm broken. I feel rejected. I feel lonely. Do we share our heart with God or do we just tell him what he needs to do? If all we focus on is what he needs to do and he doesn't do it, then our relationship with God's going to be shallow, right? But see, this psalm is not just a psalm that David prayed in thousands of generations, but I realized, and this is so cool in the story of biblical literature, is that this is the prayer that Jesus prayed. I don't know if you realize that. At his darkest hour, when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And see, what's unique about quoting the Bible to an Old Testament person, which Jesus kind of was, he had the mentality of the Old Testament, he wasn't proof texting. Today, we quote a a verse to say, see, I'm right, you're wrong. Here's the proof. This is the verse. Jesus didn't do that. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then in his mind, he's thinking about all of Psalm 22 because it's memorized. And he's going through it. And so we need to jump in. And go through that as well. But before we do, I want to bring a little bit of levity into this. And I got this from a guy named Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey, if you haven't learned about the Bible Project, it's an awesome uh, podcast. Kind of walks you through different challenges in the Bible. And so Tim Mackey shared this story. And have you ever heard the letter from seat 29E? Any of you guys heard that letter? If you're a pilot, you may know it. But the reason I'm sharing this with you is it's... It's a modern letter of lament. Because instead of starting with a request, what this person, seat 29E, and it's quite humorous, he's going to describe what he's experiencing. And so let's jump into it. If you want to throw that up on the screen. This is someone that was traveling from, I think it was Sweden to Houston. And it was written in the year 2000. And this is the complaint that was sent in at that time, Continental Airlines, which I don't think exists. I think it's United now, but... Anyways, he says, Dear Continental Airlines, I am disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I'm having while sitting in seat 29E on one of your aircraft. As you know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory. So close, in fact, I can reach out my left arm and I can touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It's difficult to say... What is the worst part about sitting in 29E? What what is it really? Is it the stench of a sanitation fluid that's blowing all over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh, the whoosh, 
of the constant flushing or the passengers, and I have PG'd this and knocked some things out, of the passengers' butts that seem to fit into my personal space like a jigsaw puzzle? See, I've constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of a blanket into the overhead compartment while effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a smell, a bit of privacy, the butts on my body factor have increased as without my evil glare, passengers feel free to lean up against what they think is some kind of blanket wall. The next butt that touches my shoulder will be the last. I'm picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats into the plane by putting them next to the lavatory. I'd like to flush his head in the toilet that I am close enough to touch and taste from my seat. Putting a seat here was a very bad idea. I just heard a man groan. And there you can see the depiction of this scene. Worse yet, I've paid almost $400 for the honor of sitting in this seat. Does your company refund tickets? I'd like to go back to where I came from and start over. Seat 29E could be only be worse if it were was located inside the bathroom. I wonder if my clothing will retain the sanitizing odor. And what about my hair? I feel like I'm bathing in a toilet bowl of blue liquid and there is no little man in a boat to save me. I'm filled with a deep hatred for your plane's designer and a general disease that may last for hours. Okay, we're finally descending and soon I will be able to tear down the stink shield, but the scars will remain. I suggest, here comes the request, that you initiate immediate removal of this seat from all of your crafts. Just remove it and leave the smoldering brown hole empty or place a place for sturdy, non-absorbing luggage, maybe, but not human cargo. You now have heard the seat from 2090. Now, why do I share that? It is to bring some levity to a really difficult passage, but that's what lament is. Now, you know what he wanted in the end. You, he wanted the seat to be removed. But wasn't this more effective in expressing his concern? He could simply say, hey, Continental Airlines, would you remove the seat? But it wouldn't have the same impact. It wouldn't have the same effect. And see, what lament is, is that description of our experience. God, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm experiencing. And see, our assumption tends to be that God wants to know our request. No, God wants to know where we are. He wants, us, he wants to know how we're doing. So let's jump back in and look at this first 18 verses and how David begins. Again, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, by day I cry out and there is no answer. By night and there is no rest. Verse 13. And yet notice he says, you are holy. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel and you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and they were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. See, he's remembering. And he's saying, I remember stories of deliverance. I remember times where people were in 
situations that were troubling and hard and difficult. And I remember the stories of the ways you showed up, God. And some of us have heard those stories from others. We've heard stories of how God has shown up in the lives of others, how he's rescued, brought peace, brought solutions. And he's saying, okay, intellectually, I know you're good and merciful and I know you intervene. Why are you not intervening with me? And you can feel that deep cry. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you silent? Why have you left me here in shame? And notice what he's going to begin to do is to describe how he feels. And he says, I'm, I'm not even a man. I feel like a worm. I'm less than human. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm despised by people. All who see me, they are mocking me, meaning I'm isolated. And I think when he says, it says they make mouths at me. This is a literal translation. I think it's saying they're insulting me. They wag their heads. And here's what they're saying to him. They're saying, hey, David, you're trusting in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver you. Let God rescue you, for you delight in him. You know, those words were actually spoken to Jesus, if you remember, when he was on the cross. Hey, Jesus, you talk so much about God. Where's your God? And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've, you've had that come towards you. You believe in this God thing, this Jesus, this Bible? What a joke. Let God deliver you. David is in this place, realize of isolation, and people are mocking the very thing that he's trying to pursue, which is God's intimacy and his presence, and everyone around him is rejecting him, just like Jesus. You can imagine Jesus on the cross. And, and realize, David's not writing this to tell you what's going to happen to Jesus. He's just describing in metaphors what's happening to him. Now, we're going to get to how that gets to Jesus, but it's a beautiful reality that Jesus is, dis I mean, David's describing this depth of suffering that ultimately is going to be revealed in the most perfect human being, which is Jesus Christ. And so they're mocking him. He's isolated. It goes on. It goes deeper. And this is amazing. Watch this verse 9. Listen to how he describes God. Yet you, you are the one. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no help. Now, this is remarkable because he's saying, God, you are a midwife. Because who is it that takes a child when the child's delivered, cleans the child up, and places the child on its mother's breast? That's what a midwife does. He's saying, God, and he knows God created him. He knows God's the king of the universe. He knows God is powerful and mighty. And yet, where does that depth of motherly compassion and love come from? Where does that depth of care come from? It comes from the one who is gentle, Jesus said, and lowly in heart. He sees in God a tenderness and a compassion, a mercy and a nearness, a love, and yet, God, why have you, why have you abandoned me? If you've cared for me this way, why are you rejecting me now? There's no place to turn for help, and listen to how he describes the situation he's in, and he says, Many bulls have encompassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths wide at me like, like lions, ravening and, and roaring lions. He's describing two animals that are out of control, bulls and lions. And these are the people that are suddenly coming around him. And he describes what he feels like. I'm poured out. I'm empty. My bones are out of joint. I feel like I'm falling apart. He says, I have no cohesion. I have no coherence. My heart, can you can imagine this? It's, it's like wax. It's like I'm dying from the inside out. There's so much pain in my life. 
I'm melt, it's melting within my breast. That's a description of fear, a loss of life. My strength is dried up. Any strength I've had is, is gone. My tongue sticks to my, my mouth and my jaws. You lay me down in the dust of death. This is a deep, painful image of brokenness, loss, and grief. And he goes on. He says, hey, dogs are encompassed me. Now, now dogs are scavengers. Dogs are not animals of comfort. They, they didn't come around you to love you. They came around to devour you. They are the buzzards of the ancient days. And he's saying, these are the people. They're coming around me like dogs. A company, verse 16, of evildoers. They have pierced my hands and feet. Some translations, I think, say they've hacked off my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. From my clothing, they cast lots. Now realize for just a moment, what David is describing here isn't literal. Because there's no story in the Old Testament of David being pierced, his hands and his feet being cut off, his clothes being cast as lots. He's describing in metaphor the depths of his suffering, and, and he's describing in poetic form, meaning David's sitting here and he's thinking, and through the power of the Spirit, he's describing this image of human suffering that is, on the one hand, it's tender, describing God as, as a midwife, and yet it's, it's agonizing and deep and sorrowful. And he goes on, and then he says, but you. So he, he's transitioning in verse 19, and here comes the request, but you, Lord, do not be far from me, Lord. You are my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lions. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You know, David is so isolated that the people around him cannot understand what he's experiencing. You know, when you're in a place of loss, it could be the loss of someone that you love or an experience even the people who are closest to you, though they, and they'll try to say nice things, right? And, but sometimes those words fall so short because what you feel inside, you can't express it. And you know the people around you, they, they, can't, they can't quite approximate it. They're trying to show compassion. David's so alone. On the one hand, he's experiencing external suffering, but on the inside, he just feels like everything has abandoned him and no one understands what's going on. And so in verse 19, he finally cries out to God and says, God, listen, here's my request. If you didn't get it out of verse 1 through 18, deliver me, rescue me, save me, I need you. David is not driven by his emotions, but David pours out his emotions in God's presence. And here's what happened, verse 22, God showed up. Now, church, not all of us will have a Psalm 22 day. Remember last week, some of us may have a Psalm, 20, Psalm 88 life. We don't see the, the hope. We don't see the outcome. Now, David, at some point in his life, God did deliver him. God did respond. And notice what happens. Verse 22, and I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Okay, so it's changed, right? So David's kind of crying out. And then he says, I'm about to throw a party. Because God has delivered me, and I'm going to stand up in front of the congregation. Now, this means the temple, the tabernacle. David's going to go, and he's going to worship God. Now, how's he going to do that? He's going to tell his story of how God answered his prayer. And he's going to announce to everyone, guys, listen, God is good. This is what he's done for me. Church, we lack this depth. You know why? Because we don't invite people into our pain 
Therefore, we can't invite them into our celebration. We don't invite them to share in our brokenness. And so when God does answer us, we don't have an opportunity to say to one another, this is what God has done. This is how God, you know what that does when somebody does share a story like that? You remember it. The next time that suffering comes, and if when you have a song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone. I not only have a song, I've got a story. I've got a remembrance. I've got a celebration, because look what happens. He goes on to say, hey, listen, not just myself that I'm praising. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. You offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. He has not despised or poured the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted, He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard, and he has cried to him. David is rejoicing. He's throwing a party. I would love to come to your party the next time God answers your prayer. We wonder why the youth within the church are are in some ways walking away from God, because they're not seeing the grief of those that are fallen. And so when they experience grief, what do they do? God's abandoned me. They see the immorality. They see the brokenness of the church. Because we are not real with God, we are not real towards others. Because we're not deep with God and we're not rich in life, this is what a follower of Jesus does. We invite people into our brokenness so they can share in our celebration. Church, we have to be deeper and richer and more meaningful in how we pursue God. And and notice he's addressing God, verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I'll perform before those who fear him. So as everyone's gathering, he's making sacrifices. That's a vow. Saying, God, because you've delivered me, I'm offering this sacrifice and worship, and then this party's gonna be thrown, because notice verse 26, here comes the food, here comes the dip and the chips, the afflicted, meaning the poor. They're gonna be, they're gonna eat and be satisfied. Why? Because God answered my prayer. I'm rejoicing as if it's Super Bowl Sunday. Can I say Super Bowl? Are they going to cut me off on Facebook? I'm not sure. (laughs) Those who afflicted him shall praise the Lord. And I love this verse. (laughs) May your hearts live forever. You know what that is? It's just like cheers, guys. It's, It's just like a statement. Hey, may your hearts live in peace and joy. David is celebrating, and he's celebrating with others. Guys, this is community This is depth of life with God, bringing others into our brokenness. But see, it's not only that. What David's doing in this story is a story that we are going to experience as well. As I said, this song was sung, right? Kind of like Because He Lives or those songs that are important to us. And when you hear it come on the radio, maybe it reminds you of an experience, right? But David's going to say, you know, this prayer that I'm praying that the Holy Spirit has inspired, it's not just for me. It's for all generations. But listen, it's going to lead all generations at one day at the end of time to celebrate God around his throne, all nations coming before him, bringing their brokenness and suffering. It's going to end in this great day of celebration and worship. And so he says, my prayer is kind of a microcosm of all that God is doing in the world. So watch this in verse 27. And all the, all the ends of the earth shall remember. And they're going to turn to the Lord. And listen, all the families, this isn't today, this is in the future. All the families and the nations shall worship before you, before the king, for the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And the prosperous, meaning the rich of the earth, they're going to eat and worship. And also before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, those who have died, even the ones who could not keep himself alive. And then he goes on to say, verse 30, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness 
to a people, notice, like us who are not yet born. David's thinking ahead because God has done it. God has delivered. God has overcome death and sin and brokenness. And one day there will be a day of celebration. Do you know why this was on Jesus' mind? Realize, realize this. Realize when you've gone through a place of deep, deep suffering and hardship, what is it like when someone significant comes along? Not just anybody. Not, not a person that just you appreciate, but a person you deeply love. And, and they, they don't just say platitudes. I hate empty platitudes, guys. Hey, all things work together for good. Listen, just shut up right now because I'm about to hit you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's true, guys. It's true, but you have to be careful. What is it like when you're in that place of deep pain and someone comes alongside who's also deep and rich and, and they sit in it with you and they're present and, and the song that you sing is the song that they sing and there's this choir and anthem of celebration, even though in your sadness, you're like, God, I need you to rescue me. There is a, a deep understanding of that person. There's, there's a oneness. What if it comes from God? On the cross, Jesus is singing this song. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And guess what? There were ravenous bulls around him. His, his hands and feet were pierced. His clothes were cast out as lots and, and divided amongst others. They could see his bones. His body was broken. And God despised him. And he was cast off and rejected. And, and he knew that for the light of life, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. There would be a day of celebration, yet it wasn't that day. Jesus used this story to give him hope on his darkest moment. Guys, if we're not using what Jesus used, we're not going to survive those dark days. We're not going to be deeper before God and richer before men because we don't know how to walk with God when life is hard. You see what the Psalms are for? They're to make us deeper and richer and ultimately to recognize if Jesus has gone through this for us, then God is in it with us. We have a high priest who's able to, to sympathize. When he sings the same song, when he recognizes that pain and he's one with us in the midst of it and the voice next to you is not just the voice of a friend but the voice of your creator, your God, your savior, your Lord, when the spirit of God is singing over us in the same tune, there is a deep intimacy with God in our brokenness but we have to be willing to go with God there. Church, as we move into this new year, out of a tough year into a tough year, Hopefully that will get better. Are you, are you learning to pray God's words back to him? Because there's a lot of false gods and saviors in the world that some are good, some are not so good, and we will run to them and hug them, and we will hold on to them and say, you got to save us, you got to fix my country, you got to fix the world. But they cannot be Jesus. They cannot meet you here. They cannot heal you here. They cannot be what only God can be. We have to learn to be deeper with God so we can be richer with others. Church, are we willing to go there? Listen, get that, that app, Five Psalms. Would you just, I challenge you guys in the afternoon to pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe the next challenge is every morning, would you just get into one psalm? Pray that word back to God and allow him to meet you in that place. This is what it means to be a disciple, to be with Jesus, to become like him. Then we can do what he does. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for these words. I thank you that you understand Lord, our pain and our brokenness, you haven't abandoned us. And though we feel we're in a place of darkness, you tell us it's in the valley of the shadow of death, that we don't fear evil because you're with us. And yet we have to bring our depth of darkness to you. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are here today. I know some of us are in places of joy and we're rejoicing. And this is just a lesson to learn, to take 
but others, this is real, this is life. And so, Lord, would you meet us, meet those who are there in that place of brokenness, to know they are loved, they are cherished, you have pursued them, you have chased after them. Even now in your grace, Father, you're calling out to them, just saying, would you call to me, daughter, son? Would you cry out to me and know that I am with you? And Father, for some of us, we need to just repent and turn. We need to acknowledge that we have brokenness in our life and we've allowed the pains of life to lead us to things that are broken. Forgive us. Father, accept us on the basis of Jesus Christ, his righteousness and his righteousness alone. And guide us into all truth, Father, so that we might rest deeply with you, so that we might be rich towards others. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.